Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Tuesday, the 31st of October, with me, Bernadette Anderko. Today, my colleague Mike Rauber will be delivering the markets news to us. Our head of equity strategy, Mathieu Rachete, will join the show to update us on Q3 earnings. And as always on a Tuesday, Manuel Beleas will update us on the latest news from the crypto world. So let's start the show now with the roundup of the markets news with Mike Rauber. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bernadette. So why don't we start with the uh, US equity market action yesterday, Mike? Sure. So given the news flow from the Middle East, we saw weakness in US equities on Friday as investors did not want to be overly exposed over the weekend. But now on Monday, with no major geographical escalation of the conflict in the Middle East, US equities rebounded with the major equity indices rising just over 1% and the VIX index, a measure of fear in U.S. equities, falling sharply. Now, corporate news also helped uh, U.S. equity markets yesterday with McDonald's rising on better-than-expected results and the car conglomerate Stellantis rose after reaching a tentative agreement with unions to end a six-week strike. Okay. So uh, turning to the U.S. fixed income market, um, I know there was some news out on reduced borrowing needs from the U.S. Treasury Department, which seemed to keep the advance of the 10-year Treasury yield in check yesterday. Yes, absolutely. So the U.S. Treasury uh, cut its estimate of net borrowing for the October-December quarter to $776 billion, down from the $852 billion it expected back in July. Uh, And so this updated amount is also less than many strategists had predicted. But even with the lower estimate, the new projection still marks a record amount of borrowing for the calendar fourth quarter, as the U.S. budget deficit remains above 6%. And just as a reminder, news of high borrowing to finance the very large U.S. budget deficits has been cited as a key reason for the higher long-term bond yields in recent weeks. Okay, um, moving across to Europe then, the the largest economy here, Germany, uh, reported growth and inflation figures yesterday. What was the main takeaway, Mike? So German inflation was unchanged on the months, taking the annual rate to just uh, 3.8%. This was the lowest since 2021. And, but this is really as the economy contracted slightly by 0.1% in the third quarter, putting Germany on track to be the only major developed country to enter uh, or to be in a recession this year. Now, on the positive side, however, recent economic data releases, such as the IFO Business Climate Bar- Barometer or Index, have shown signs of some improvement. And uh, just as I mentioned inflation, Bernadette, There was also some better news from the UK where shop price inflation fell to its lowest level in more than a year. Good to hear that. Um, Now, the Bank of Japan had its long-awaited policy meeting overnight, and there were some rumours yesterday that it would allow bond yields to move higher, and that saw a rise in the yen yesterday. But now I'm seeing it above the 150 level against the dollar again. Yes, so traders were disappointed by the Bank of Japan's decision today as they were hoping for more drastic tightening of its still very loose monetary policy. Now, Japan's central bank said it would adopt a more flexible approach to controlling the yield on the 10-year government bond, with the 1% level now a reference point rather than a hard line in the sand. Uh, And the governor's press conference uh, following the decision did little to change the minds of those who were initially disappointed. 
And so 10-year yields are up to 0.95%. And as you said, Bernadette, the Japanese yen is sharply weaker against the US dollar. One beneficiary is the Nikkei 225, which in local currency terms, so in Japanese yen, is higher as the weak yen helps exports. Okay, um, moving across to China, um, I fear news about the economy continues to disappoint. What's the latest there? Yeah, just very briefly, but actually probably very important. Uh, China's factory activity fell back into contraction in October, and services sector expansion also slowed, highlighting the very fragile situation the Chinese economy finds itself in, and really the need for more dramatic uh, and uh, beneficial stimulus measures. Now, Chinese equities are lower, with the Hang Seng down 1.7 percent. Also, and also the Chinese yuan is losing ground. Okay. Um, any other market moves? Anything notable to report? So just quickly, gold continues to hover around the $2,000 an ounce level, while Brent oil was down over 3% yesterday to well below $90 a barrel as concerns about the events in the Middle East and its impact on oil prices is subsiding, even if there are obviously still a lot of upside risk. Uh, interestingly, oil prices have now almost reverted all gains since the outbreak of hostilities in the Middle East. Right. Well, I guess finally we need to turn to what to expect uh, today, Mike. Yes. So just lots of companies reporting their earnings, uh, just mentioning BP, Samsung and Pfizer. Then there is also in terms of economic data, French GDP, Swiss retail sales, Eurozone GDP, US and US consumer confidence figure to watch out for. But now it is also really a wait-and-see game for the U.S. Federal Reserve that will announce its interest rate decision and, more importantly, its outlook for the U.S. economy tomorrow. And, uh, Bernadette, lastly, I see U.S. equity futures in the red on the weaker China data. And uh, certainly one stock to watch today is NVIDIA because that's the Wall Street Journal is reporting that up to $5 billion worth of sales may be at risk due to new U.S. export controls to China. And that's uh, all for me for today. Thanks so much for your insights, Mike. Thank you. So, uh, Mike already mentioned uh, some of the earnings coming up. I'm delighted now to welcome Mathieu Rachete to the show to update us on the earnings season so far. So, it's in full swing. We've had roughly half of the S&P 500 companies now reporting their quarterly results. What's the story so far, Mathieu? Yes, uh, first of all, good morning, Bernadette. So we had rather a mediocre start into the Q3 earnings season. The beat ratio, which looks at the percentage of companies that surprise positively on earnings compared to consensus expectations, was at 73% after the first two weeks, which is below the historical average of 75%. But what that changed last week, when we had one of the busiest weeks in terms of earnings reports, um, the beat rate has the beat ratio. Sorry, the beat ratio has increased now from 73 to 78 percent, which is now above the historical average. On aggregate, here Q3 earnings have surprised to the upside by 7.7 percent, mainly driven by the mega cap tech companies um, in the US um, in the IT and communication space. As a result of that, consensus is now expecting earnings growth for the um, S&P 500 for Q3 to end at um, 2.5%, which compares to minus 0.4% at the start of the season. As such, you know, this will mark the first quarter of positive year-over-year -year earnings growth since Q3 last year and also the end of the earnings recession. 
Okay, that sounds that sounds good then, Mathieu. Have any sectors emerged as being the winners so far, or is it not as simple as that? Yeah, well, you know, we can look at the beat ratio of the individual sectors to see which sectors have so far scored better. Um, the sectors that have the highest beat ratio are IT, communications, and also healthcare, which, by the way, are also our three most preferred uh, se sectors this year. Those with the lowest beat ratio are oil and gas, real estate, and utilities. So overall, you know, there are some differences on a sector level when it comes to earnings releases. Okay, so uh, what's been the market reaction so far to the results? That's a very good question. You know, despite this improvement that we have seen in, in the results last week, corporates have not been really rewarded uh, in terms of uh, share price reaction. So look, if, if you look at those companies that surprised positively on Q3 earnings, they saw the share price increase by only 1% on average, which compares to a 1.5% um, uh, on average over the last uh, 10 years. So lower positive share price reaction than in the past. But also if you look at those that missed on earnings, historically they saw their stock price decline by 2.4% on average. This time around, the average decline has been minus 3.3%. So they actually got penalized much more by investors than in the past. You know, there could be several reasons uh, for the weak market reaction. One reason we think lies really in guidance, uh, which remained rather on the weak side. So if you look here at the percentage of companies that uh, increase guidance for the next quarter, um, it only stands at um, 33%, slightly lower than the 10-year average of 36%. Uh, so that surely didn't really help to reassure investors here. Okay, but then uh, how does the earnings season picture look for us over here in Europe? Yeah, so over here in Europe, it's, it's a bit different. Uh, you know, the earnings season is also a bit less advanced. But um, of the 40% of the companies uh, of the stock 600 index that have reported so far, 54% um, have surprised positively on earnings, which is pretty much in line with the historical average here. There are, um, however, some notable differences on a country level. So for instance, the beat ratio um, has been quite weak in the core countries, such as Germany and France, but uh, that has been compensated by quite strong results in the periphery countries such as Italy and Spain. In aggregates, if you look at the aggregate number here, consensus is now expecting Q3 earnings to decline by 7% year over year for the stock 600. And this really means that European equities are still in the midst of a earnings recession. And this is in stark contrast to uh, what's going on for US equities, which are now already past the earnings recession. So overall, you know, we, uh, it's one of the reasons why we continue to prefer US or European equities to really position for the year, year end rally that we are expecting. Oh, glad that you mentioned that, uh, Mathieu. We had Mensa on the show yesterday, and he said that from a technical perspective, there's still the chance of such a rally. You're obviously looking at things from a fundamental research perspective. What makes you think that a rally is still on the cards? Yeah, you know, if you look at the te technical picture, you know, the technical patterns in markets have experienced some damage following the recent sell-off. We cannot uh, deny that. But we still think there are several reasons why um, the market is really ripe for a year-end rally, why this is still our base case here. Fundamentally speaking, you know, we have a backdrop of still very resilient economic growth, especially in the US, and also inflation continuing to trend lower 
uh, on, um, in most of the larger Western economies. At the same time, our economists expect that rates as well as long-term bond yields in the US as well as in Europe should re remain rather flat and not increase further, which will really um, stop a further derating um, in the equity market. Meanwhile, um, as you also mentioned uh, before already, the US, the world's largest equity market, already experienced an earnings recession earlier this year and is now expects to return to positive earnings uh, growth again from Q3 onwards. So, you know, overall, this combination of still resilient economic growth, peak in bond yields, and an inflection point in earnings is really a powerful backdrop for equities over the coming months. And also lastly, you know, just look at where sentiment currently is. Investor sentiment is actually back to record lows and also stock flash oversold signals. So this is not really a bad starting point, especially if you think that Q4 is usually the strongest quarter in terms of equity returns. Very interesting, Mathieu. Thanks for the earnings update and for sharing your insights today. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show next week uh, to see how the season's progressing. We've still got some big names left to report, so the story's not over yet. Thanks for having me on the show, Bernadette. So uh, Bitcoin has been in the headlines of late for its rally. Uh, Manuel is joining us for his weekly look at all things crypto. Good morning, Manuel. Good morning, Bernadette. So uh, Manuel, do we have any new developments in the crypto space since uh, we spoke last Tuesday? That's a big question, right? So there are no new significant developments in terms of the ETFs. There are several rumors ongoing. There is a meeting in the SEC. Within the SEC, it will be a closed-door meeting on the 2nd of November. And the interesting thing is something very similar to this meeting happened ahead of ProShares Bitcoin strategy, futures-based ETF approval back two years ago. So it's pretty interesting, but it's only rumors. At the same time, we've had the ongoing process for FTX, the trials of Sam Magman fried which have been slightly comedic and fill the market with further noise. Okay, uh, talking of uh, Bitcoin, I think it's above 34,000 this morning, if I'm right. So how is this rally being sustained? Yeah, as you rightly pointed out, Bitcoin is trading at levels last seen before the meltdown of Terra Luna in the beginning of May last year. And the reason is we've, we've had a lot of expectations on the ETFs being approved, not only being approved, but rather when and many proponents suggest that it will happen by year's end. So there are many deadlines ahead. First one will be the one for ARC on the 10th of January. But it is very likely that the SEC approves something before that due to Grayscale's legal process that happened in the past few weeks. Uh, at the same time, we've had pretty strong spot volumes. We've had uh, record inflows uh, for Bitcoin futures-based DTPs across the globe. And we've we've had the largest numbers uh, for the year in this in this regard. I mean, ever since July, we've had some sort of uh, trench, and now it's really picking up uh, with more and more asset managers filing for for ETPs. Okay, so are you seeing any metrics that signal a change towards the investment thesis, then, Manuel? So the investment thesis remains quite strong. The let's say the caveats would be the market death, right? So there is very low liquidity, as, as we all know. The bid-to-ask spreads are up to 30 basis points in some exchanges, which is a three-fold increase. So this, I'm, I'm speaking about centralized exchanges because 
decentralized ones don't work with bid to ask spreads. The interesting thing about decentralized ones is that you see most of the liquidity being concentrated in the current range, which is quite strong in terms of the market depth. So at the same time, we have in centralized exchanges double the slippage we had before the rumors came out on the tweets uh, almost two weeks ago. So we have around five basis points here as well. In terms of Bitcoin, we have continued Bitcoin dominance. Bitcoin increased its uh, share of the whole crypto market from around 40% to around 55% as we speak in less than a year. At the same time, we've seen Binance, uh, we, we've seen a decline in Binance's market share. And it's, it's been related to the fact that FTX raised a lot of questions to investors last year. Uh, people are no longer comfortable holding as much of their assets on uh, wallets and exchanges where they don't have the entire custody. At the same time, we've seen pretty strong volumes on the CME, and we've also seen quite an improvement in terms of the open interest. Okay, so then in, in your opinion, Manuel, what should investors expect going forwards? So I would expect continued accumulation. In Bitcoin, I would expect around 76% of Bitcoins have not changed hands in over a year. So I don't see this changing anytime soon. I think the reason why ETPs get so much attention is because people believe Bitcoin serves a role in a portfolio context as a store of value instead of the original payment mechanism, decentralized peer-to-peer -peer, uh, network that it was already intending to uh, that it was intending to do at first. So we still believe that there might be a supply squeeze if the ETF gets approved. Let's remember that since the tweet came out a couple of weeks ago, we've already had around $650 million in liquidations. And should the geopolitical tensions in the Middle East ease, we see uh, less headwinds coming in this direction. At the same time, if we believe we are near peak hiking, macroeconomic headwinds we've had should cease. So that's all from my end, Bernadette. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Manuel, and for keeping us informed on the crypto space. It's much appreciated. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you for listening. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow when Roman Canciani will be hosting more of our experts to guide you through what's moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.